0: Hey, there we go. We got some takers, don't we?
1: We are moving on. And we,
0: yeah, now we're running out. David wants something up here. Anybody else? We got more. We got like half a thing more. If you want some more, we'll we'll make some more. Actually, we do have some of that cheese spread stuff. You know, come around with that. You can't even leave them hanging. There it is, right there, Krista. Oh, we'll, just, we'll just pass that around. Y'all just, y'all just enjoy. Now, even though we're going for the movie theater atmosphere, no one needs to make out on the back row. All right? That's, that's where we draw the line at this movie theater, this New Life Community Church movie theater. So just want you to know, the lights are still up enough. We do know what you're doing. And uh, we, have, we have the movie theater police at our disposal. Now, Willy Wonka owns a chocolate factory. You heard the basic premise. And um, one of the things is there's golden tickets all over. Uh, actually, there's five golden tickets, and the, the chocolate is spread all over the world. And what somebody has to do is find a golden ticket. If you find a golden ticket, you get to go into the chocolate fa- factory. Nobody's ever been in there except the workers. And... Um, then you also win, if you pass this test, you win a lifetime supply of chocolate. I've often wondered what a lifetime supply of chocolate looked like. It would look different from different people. For Wes, it would be a bunch. For me, it would be a bunch too. But for others, it wouldn't be so much. I don't know what a lifetime supply looks like. But there's only five golden tickets in all the world, and this sets off wonka mania. I know, I there's
1: all these. Captured the attention of the entire world. Hidden among the compass billions of water bars are five gold tickets. And to mm-hmm. the white people who the find them will come the most fabulous prize one could wish for a lifetime supply of chocolate. And as if this were not enough, each winner before he receives his prize will be personally escorted. The man's <laughs> a genius. He'll sell a bars. He wants Do you think I've got a chance to oh. find one? Oh. Oh. One, I'm counting you to find all five. It's not for me. Already we have reports coming in, and the response is benumbed. of ours are continuing to disappear from candy store shelves and are raked from far over to bottom. Truly, it is incredible the way that mania has descended upon the globe. While the world searches, we watch and wait, wondering where the pursuit will lead and how long the spirit of man will hold up under the strain. I'm so ready.
0: Alright, you have the basic premise there. Wonka bars everywhere. People want the Wonka bars. Now, as you can imagine, little boys and little girls dream of this. This would be like, if you got the golden ticket, it'd be like winning the power lotto for a hundred million dollars. Something like that. All your dreams would come true. So they buy hundreds and hundreds of gold bars looking for, uh, I mean chocolate bars looking for this gold piece of paper. And many are disappointed because they search until all the tickets are gone. Charlie is a poor boy who only has enough money to buy a couple of tickets, and he gets lucky on his third bar. Everybody else in his class buys hundreds of, tic- of bars. He buys just three bars on his last bar. He gets lucky, and he finds a golden ticket, and here's what it looks like when he broke the news to his family. By the way, I think it's pretty funny. His family, you know, his grandma, Josephine and Joseph, and uh, anyway, they're all bedridden for 20 years, and they only have one bed, and it's, that's kind of a funny thing if you if you think about it.
1: I Why did you? Joseph...
0: Excited, aren't they? Well, we decided to do everything we could to help you remember Willy Wonka and this message and this whole series. So, we have some chocolate bars here. Let's see, Ashley and Danielle, we need you to, uh, to help us pass these out. Now, one of these chocolate bars actually has a golden ticket. And you win a fabulous prize. So, look through those. Make sure everybody gets one. Yeah, don't open them yet. Wait till everybody gets theirs. Here you go, man. Start at the back. Make sure everybody gets one. <laughs> hey, hey, if Mr. Goodbar has the golden ticket, they'd like it. Here you go. Everybody? Everybody, anyone, anyone, Bueller? I watch too many movies. I hope that one doesn't have the ticket in it. We'll find out in just a second. All right, now, open up. Oops, wait, all those people back there that are are in the band and don't usually get stuff anyway because they're in the band. Okay, open up your tickets and let's find out. Who wins the golden ticket? Someone, someone!
1: Oh, all right, all right.
0: Mona Johnson wins it. Mona, you win a colorized version of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and you get your choice of a Video Guy T-shirt. This is this is a, a larger and extra large. And oh, I forgot to tell you, there's one other thing. If you, if you show up next week, then we also give you two free passes to, uh, to the movie theater. You never know what you're going to get at church. Wes got a crackle bar and he's happy. That's enough for Wes. Well, okay, what in the world does a golden ticket have to do with anything? Well, this is on your listening guide if you want to follow along there. First point that I want you to get today is everyone is, every person is offered a golden ticket by God. Every person is offered a golden ticket by God. And I want to show you a couple of verses, and let's, let's kind of pull these apart, and let's figure out what God is saying to us. Uh, in the book of John, chapter 1, um, you can follow along up here. I have the reference on your listening guide, but there's too many verses to put there. Now, this is John. He is one of the followers of Jesus who's writing this book. If you read in the New Testament, especially the four, first four books of the New Testament... Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll hear a lot of times that there are three disciples, three followers of Jesus that are very close to him that get to do extra stuff. Peter, James, and John. It's that John who's writing this uh, message. And here's what he says. Before anything else existed, there was Christ with God. He has always been alive and is himself God. He created everything there is. Nothing exists that he didn't make. Verse 4. Eternal life is in him. Now, I want to stop right there and I I want to say that for centuries, as long as man has been alive... We've been searching for this fountain of truth, a fountain of youth, um, and there is no such thing as a fountain of youth. People want to figure out how they can not have to die, and and one of the realities of life is we're all going to die. So there's no fountain of youth, but there is a fountain of truth, and here's what it is. Eternal life is in Him, that means Christ Jesus, and this life gives light to all mankind. His life is the light that shines through the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And Christ became a human being and lived here on earth among us and was full of loving forgiveness and truth. And some of us have seen his glory. Now, this is an eyewitness testimony. This is as if we are in a court of law and this man is uh, sitting up on the the stand and he's saying, I saw him. Some of us. And that means we're still alive. You could go ask us at, at the time of this writing. Some of us have seen his glory. Continue. The glory of the only son of the heavenly father. John pointed him out to the people, telling the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, now, let me back up here. This is a different John. This is John the Baptist that he's quoting here. John the Baptist was one who preached before Jesus was come. So John the disciple, the follower, Peter, James and John is writing and he says, John the Baptist says this. This is the one um, I, I was talking about when I said someone is coming who is greater by far than I am, for he existed long before I did. We have all benefited from the rich blessings he brought to us, blessing upon blessing heaped upon us. For Moses gave us only the law with its rigid demands and merciless justice, while Jesus Christ brought us loving forgiveness as well. No one has ever actually seen God, but of course, his only son has. For he is the companion of the Father and has told us all about him. Now, I wanted to give you one other translation of this. This is from the message translation because it it really um, brings into focus this idea of Jesus Christ was equal with God, but he gave all of that up and he put on skin and bones. And look how it says it in the message, the word, and that means Christ, Christ became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's when you know somebody's real when they move into your neighborhood. You see them all the time. You wave at your neighbors. They come in and out. How do you know that that someone owns a house with one of the clues is if they live there? <laughs> If their fingerprints are all over the place, if they have a key to the front door, if they have the garage door opener, you know that somebody lives there. Well, Jesus Christ moved into our neighborhood, um, the neighborhood of human beings. And it says, we saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. There's that fountain of truth again. There is an objective truth and Jesus Christ is the source of it. Well, why is this significant? Because if Jesus Christ is God's son, and he claimed to be, he claimed to be God's son. If Jesus is the only one to have seen God, then it makes sense that he's the only one that can tell us how to get to God. And look what he says. This is what he says about getting to heaven. John fourteen six. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. So I want you to circle a couple of words on your listening guide. Circle the way. Jesus said, I am the way. And then if you look at the next sentence, he says, the only way. So I want you to circle those words. The only way. According to Jesus Christ, the founder of Christianity, there are not many ways to heaven. Jesus is the only person to claim to be God's son and back up his claim. Now, there's some folks that that have been in mental institutions who have claimed to be Jesus Christ. And it's real obvious they're not. They're in a mental institution. They don't back up their claims. So if you were just to put Jesus Christ to the test and say, okay, what would the son of God be able to do? Just some of the things that pop into my mind that God would be able to do if there really is a God. And if Jesus really was his son, what would he be able to do? Well, one thing I would think that he'd be able to control the weather. You know, if He's God and He created everything, He created all these systems, He'd be able to do that. If you start reading in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, we call those the Gospels, you'll see several occasions where Jesus um, did things that He was able to control the weather. For example, one time He got into a boat. His his followers, who are career fishermen, are scared to death and they're screaming out, We're going to die! And Jesus, with two words, calms the storm. You know, he He stands up and to the storm He says, Be still! And the Bible tells us they were in awe of his power. Now, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, you know, whenever you're around somebody and they have children and, and they say to their child, be still. And they do, you know, they, they become still, you're in awe of their power, right? That's nothing. Jesus Christ stood up in a boat and he said to the winds and waves, be still. And it was perfectly calm. I would expect God's son to be able to say something like that and have that type of power. I would expect God's son to, to also be able to um, heal people of diseases. Again, read the first four books of the New Testament. And you see this all the time. He would touch some people. He would speak the word. One time he healed a boy from 38 miles away. He just spoke the word and he was healed at that very moment. That's pretty powerful. And I, I would expect God's son to be able to do that. Um, but the biggest miracle, you know, he, he healed people of diseases. He raised them from the dead. But the biggest miracle is when he died on the cross, but didn't stay dead. Now, there's all these near-death experience books out there. The problem with near-death experience is those people didn't die all the way and stay dead. They were near-death, hence the title, near-death experience. They came back to life, and they are going to die permanently someday. Jesus died permanently, was in the grave, is what the Bible tells us, for three days, and then God raised him up. He conquered death. The reason people are trying to find a fountain of youth nowadays and and for centuries is because they're afraid to die. They don't know what's on the other side of death. And so Jesus Christ conquered that one last thing that we can't conquer with all of our science and technology. We've not figured out how to cheat death. Jesus died, came back from the dead, and now he's the one that's telling us there's one way to get to God, and that's through me. Now, when he says that, he's saying, I've got the golden ticket, and that's the only way to get to heaven. Um, But I know what a lot of people think. If you were to contact, if we were to have this this poll, you know, let's get on the phone and let's let's call thousands of people this afternoon and let's do a a scientific research poll and ask people what they think about what happens after you die. Most people think that if they believe there's a God, they think that God weighs on on the curve. He grades on the curve that he has this scale, this cosmic scale. And on one side is all of our good deeds. And on the other side is all of our bad deeds. And if our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds, then Jesus is going to look at that. And he's going to say, oh, yeah, you're a pretty good person. Come on into heaven. Well, there's there's a problem with that. And uh, we're going to look at that. God doesn't grade on the curve. And um Well, let me just show you. Let me give you an illustration of this, of of the problem that we all face. It's the wrong one. We need to go to is that one nineteen oh five? Okay, you find it in a second. There is a scene in here, we'll find it and we'll get it for you. Um, oh, likes, hello. So I won't be in the dark anymore. There is a scene in here where this girl comes in and I, how many of you have seen the movie? Let me see that. Let me ask you that. You know the scene where the young lady comes in and they have the, the golden, uh, the, the geese that lay the golden eggs. All right. That's what we're trying to find real quick. And, and she is, if you were to hang a sign around her neck to describe her personality, what would you say that she is? A brat. A brat. Okay, very good. We found it now. Thank you for playing. And we'll go on.
1: Now we need a the sound. There we go. The geese that lay the golden eggs. As you can see, they're large than ordinary bees. As a matter of fact, they're quadruple mm-hmm. sized bees who can use actual five eggs. They're laying over time right now, please. But he's getting over. you don't know that. I'm trying to get ahead for next year. What happens if they've dropped another leg monkey? And I'll fit for a king, sir. A vegan. tie up and shift down, all-
0: The problem is we're all bad eggs. That's the next thing on your listening guide. God does have a scale, but it doesn't weigh good deeds versus bad deeds. The scale is perfection on one side, imperfection on the other side. And so what the Bible tells us is that only perfect people get to go to heaven and imperfect people don't. And so the problem is you and I aren't perfect. I haven't met anyone who's perfect. I want you to see what the Bible says. Romans 3.23 You have it there on your listening guide. All have sinned and are not good enough for God's glory. And I want you to circle the word all. And then right above it, I want you to write the letter I. So that it reads, we want to make this personal. It reads, I have sinned and am not good enough for God's glory. There's no doubt that we've messed up. And the result of sin, even one sin, I want you to see this in Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were under God's curse, this describes... The the results of sin doomed forever for your sins. You went along with the crowd and were just like all the others, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air, who has at work right now in the hearts of those who are against the Lord. All of us used to be just as they are, our lives expressing the evil within us, doing every wicked thing that our passions or our evil thoughts might lead us into. We started out bad, being born with evil natures, and you are under God's anger, just like everyone else. Now... When he says that, he's not saying that babies are born, that they're sinners when they're born. They are born with a nature to sin. You're not guilty of sin because you're born. You're guilty of sin because you sin. Now, the the main thing in that little song there, when she says, if I don't get what I'm after, I'm going to scream. You ever done that? Oh, sure. Uh, Like Wes said 20 years ago, you know, when I was three and four. Um, we may not have done it so much outwardly, but we've done some screaming. You want more right now? Okay, I just started thinking of the things Jane and I have been talking about. Alex said he wants more grass in his yard. I want my driveway to be bigger. I want to have a game room where my kids can play. I want to have a deck. I want, I want, I want, I want. And you guys are the same way, right? We want it and we want it now. That's why we're in so much debt. We, we have credit cards and, and we can get things that we can't afford. Um, anyway, let me ask you this. Um, In the last 24 hours, have you gotten angry? Have you been selfish? Have you thought or said hurtful things? Have you cut someone off driving to church this morning? Never, never, never commented about the opposite sex or about someone else's driving. Commented inappropriately. We'll say that because I know some of you are going to say, oh, I said something nice. One thing doesn't offset 25 bad things. Um, looked at inappropriate material on TV or in the print. Um, have you looked at things you shouldn't have said the words? Did you hear about and then proceeded to tell someone something that is gossip disguised as a prayer request? That's what Christians do. I, 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 that's at least in the churches I've been in. Oh, but we're praying for them. That's a bunch of bull. It's just gossip. Um, have you been negative, impatient? <laughs> I went to Walmart this morning. I sinned this morning on the way to church. Raised your voice, rolled your eyes side heavily, or made other sounds or body movements to indicate to other people in the room that you are not pleased with them. Have you done that just once in the last 24 hours? Then you're going to hell. <laughs> Hang on. I'm not finished there. I'm not finished there. Because the scale is you've got to be perfect. To go to heaven, even one time in the last 24 hours means you're not perfect, which means you do not deserve heaven. You're a bad egg. I'm a bad egg. We got problems if the Bible stops there, but the Bible doesn't stop there. Now, I want you to think about this. Add up all of those times in the last 24 hours you've done any of those things. And would it be safe to say that you messed up maybe 10 times? Just a conservative estimate 10 times in the last 24 hour period. I did it ten times at Walmart this morning. But but you, you're better than I am. Okay? So let's say ten times in the the last 24 hours. Multiply that by 365. So in the last year, if if you're a pretty good person, you've screwed up 3,650 times in the last year. Do you really expect me to believe, or God, or any sane person to believe that you've done 3,651 good deeds? to offset your 3,650 bad deeds as if God doesn't have anything better to do than to have this little tally sheet up there and heaven. oh, Doug said that, Doug thought that, Doug looked there, Doug, oh, there's one good one. <laughs> God's got more stuff to do than that. There's no way that He's got a scale up there. And, and so the problem is we're bad eggs and, and we're going to have some trouble. Now, what that means is Uh, If you mess up one time in your life, Jesus says you don't deserve heaven. And so if you don't have a golden ticket when you stand before God, so you've got to get it before you die. You don't get to change your mind after you die and say, oh, I need that ticket. No, it's too late. You've got to get it before you die. God has offered it. Like we said, he offers the golden ticket to everyone. We're all bad eggs. But the problem is most people refuse that golden ticket. But let's say you want that ticket. How would you go about getting it? Well, let's look at one last scene. As Charlie, Charlie's the only kid. Even though he disobeyed, you've seen the movie. Even though he disobeyed, he's the one kid that that I guess uh, Willy Wonka saw some good in him, and he gave him a second chance. He passes the test, and look what happens to him here.
1: We'll take the walk, Charlie. Crap sit up there. An elevator. It's a walker elevator. here. An elevator can only go up and down. It's a walker. It can go sideways and sideways and long ways and backways and huh? square ways and ways and any other way that you can think of. You can to any room the whole time just by pressing one of these buttons. Any of these buttons. Just press the button. Draw. <laughs> and up into the mouth, press the wall. Except one. This one. Go ahead and I want you to bring him on. What's wrong Don't forget what happened to the man who suddenly got everything he always wanted. What happened? He lived happily
0: ever after. There's a key line in that sequence where Willy Wonka says, "Who could I trust?" To look after the chocolate factory and the Oompa Loompas for me. Not a grown-up. Why? Because they would want to do it their way. He said, I had to find a child. Well, I want to show you something from Scripture. And that's the third thing that we've got here. You must become like a child. This comes straight from the mouth of Jesus. Matthew 18, verses 2 through 5. And what happened here is his disciples, his followers, being adults and showing the adult type nature that we have. They come to him and they're having this argument. And they say, Jesus, who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? There we go. We even though, you know, we might make fun of it or we might think it's childish for a baby in a sandbox who has a hunger pang to suddenly pick up some sand and put it in the mouth. That's childish. It's just a child. has come Jesus to say, who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom? Look what Jesus does. He brings a child. He says, Jesus called over a child whom he stood in the middle of the room and he said, I'm telling you once and for all that unless you return to square one and start over like children, you're not even going to get a look at the kingdom, let alone get in. Whoever becomes simple and elemental again, like this child, will rank high in God's kingdom. What's more, when you receive the childlike on my account, it's the same as receiving me. I was thinking about this with our G-Force program, which is what we do with our children downstairs. We knock ourselves out on a weekly basis for children. Because Jesus said, when you receive a child in my name, it's the same as receiving me. And see, the deal is God is looking for someone to say, just like a, a child, I need help. This life is too difficult for me. I cannot face all of these things on my own. I know I've messed up and I don't know what to do next. And the way we say it around here is we say that you've got to ask Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. Um, you begin to imitate him is what a child does. You follow the leader. That's what children do. Look at Ephesians 5.1. Watch what God does and then you do it like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. In the Bible, Jesus says he came that we might have this super abundant life. Now he's talking about life in heaven eventually. You know, he says that the the one who got everything he ever wanted, he he lives happily ever after. Well, that's kind of the theme for heaven. When we get to heaven, we live happily ever after. But there's going to be some stuff here. We're not experiencing the life that Jesus has for us in the here and now. And the reason is, is that we're trying to be in control of our lives. You remember when um, you were a kid and your parents used to take you somewhere? I think about this a lot because I used to get in the car and my brothers lived 12 hours away, seven hours away. We would get in the car in Border, Texas, and 13 hours later, we would wind up in Houston, Texas, all the top, all the while being in Texas, mind you. And um, I would fall asleep. I'd play games. I never once tried to get out a map and say, Dad, I think it'd be shorter if you went this direction. My 10-year-old comes up to me and he says, Hey, Dad, why aren't you going this way? I'm going to say, Dude, who is driving the car? Sit back and relax. You can't even drive. You can't reach the pedals, dude. So chill out. I'm driving. But he doesn't do that to me. My my daughters, they get in the car and they say, Where are we going? And are we there yet? That's all they care about. They don't care if I'm on 287, I-35, I-40, I-20. They don't care. They don't make suggestions about that. But what do you and I do with this life that God's given us? I want to drive. I want to know what's going on. I want to make all the decisions. And then we get ticked off when God doesn't do what we want Him to do. God says, you got it wrong. The way it works is, God says, I drive. You come along for the ride. You can engage your mind and think about things. And we can talk about stuff all the time. That's what God desires. But He is the one that's in control. Because who do you want driving? We were up in Alaska just a few weeks ago. It would have been disaster for me to get up there and try to navigate between those icebergs. The captain had been trained. He knew what was going on. He had all the navigational charts. He could see everything. God is in heaven and he sees tomorrow. Makes a whole lot more sense for me to trust him with my tomorrow than me, because I'm guessing. And I don't care how smart I am. It's just an educated, an uneducated guess in, in most instances. So... What God wants is us to become like a child, not to act like a child, but to become childlike in our belief and in our faith. And he says, when you trust me, I'll do incredible things, things you would not even believe if I were to tell you ahead of time. But you got to trust me. Well, here's what I want you to do. You have a uh, registration card there on your seat. If you would take that card, just fill it out real quickly. Then I want you to turn, um, turn that thing over and I want you to do something for me. We'll just take about 30 seconds. Let's give you time to fill it out. we got some filling out music going
1: on.